You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Amen. Thank you so much, Nate, for that beautiful, beautiful prayer. Uh, well, I'm Chris, and I get the privilege and honor of uh, sharing from God's Word this morning. And uh, as we do, um, I welcome you. If you are new and if you uh, have not been, been here before, if you're joining us or if you're still getting used to the, the weirdness of Zoom, um, you're welcome here, and we appreciate that you are here. Um, so this last week uh, was a big day. Monday was May 4th. And I know not all of you are Star Wars fans, but I am. And so May 4th is a day where we celebrate that Star Wars came into existence and may the 4th be with you. And as I was thinking about Star Wars and I was, I was watching some of the little videos that were out there on the internet and all that was going on online, um, I just remembered how I have always been a fan of Star Wars. And I thought about all the movies that have been, been made from the, the originals to the prequels to the new ones that have come out and um, the, the dynamic of the battle of darkness and light and good and evil and what is going to happen and who is going to prevail. And in the midst of that, um, I was thinking about my, my new favorite Star Wars movie. And my new favorite Star Wars movie is Rogue One. Rogue One is the story of the start of the rebellion. It's the start of the rebellion against the evil oppression of the empire. And the whole theme of the movie is about trying to uh, get the plans to destroy this massive evil weapon that the empire has learned how to create, the Death Star. And uh, as the movie ebbs and flows and back and forth and they, they wrestle with what they're going to do, um, the movie kind of comes to a climax as uh, a group of rebels defy the instructions of their leaders to go to this planet Scarif, this planet that is covered by a, an invisible force field all around it that is impenetrable, and somehow they amazingly get it. And they find these plans, but in the midst of that, everybody that is down there to do this dies. But in the process, they're able to get these plans shot up out through the force field, and they get them to the Rebel Alliance, and they get them sent off. And there was a video that I was watching this week that was talking about that. And they're talking about the Star Wars saga and the way that all this happened and the exploration of the beauty of, of the solar system and the skies and the creation of relationships and that they had each other as they did it. But what was the hardest for me to hear, because it's something that I have struggled with, is it ends with the ending scene from Rogue One. The plans have been shot up into outer space and they have been received by the rebels and they transfer them to this other ship that is no longer in the system. And the officer comes into the deck and he gives the disc to a woman and says, here you are. And the officer says, what is it they sent us? And Princess Leia responds and says, hope. They have brought us hope in the midst of this crazy, oppressive empire that just wants to squash and to kill everything under their reign. Hope has been brought. And hope was brought at a great cost. The death of the people that, that, that sought to bring these plans to end the oppression of the evil empire. 
And so this morning, that's what we are going to be talking about. Hope. Hope while hurting. Hope in the midst of difficulty. Now, I want to confess from the jump that this is something that's hard for me. Um, I have been struggling the last several years to be hopeful. The circumstances of my life and the circumstances of what has been going on around us has, has made it very hard for me to feel hopeful. And maybe that's a situation that you're in as well, or maybe, that, maybe not. Maybe you feel apathetic, or maybe you just are kind of rolling with what is going on. But there is a reality that there can still be hope in the middle of darkness. There can still be hope in the middle of the hurting. And so we're jumping into the book of Zephaniah this morning as we continue in a series called The Exiled. The Exiled is about the people of God no longer being in the land that God had promised them. And as we're looking at the book of Zephaniah, we're going to be looking at the last 11 verses of the book. We're going to be looking uh, at chapter 3, verses 9 through 20 primarily. But the beginning of this book of Zephaniah is, is very much a picture of judgment. And it's judgment that God is going to be bringing upon first and foremost, his people, his people. See, I think in, in Christianity today, we often get things misconstrued when we think of judgment. We like to think, or the majority of Christian culture may like to think that when judgment comes, it's going to be upon all of those people that don't know God, or all of those people that have rebelled against God, or all of those people who have done terrible, sinful, horrible things. But the reality of God's word is that when judgment comes, it will primarily and foremost be for the people of God who have lived in unfaithfulness to him. And then the unfortunate reality is that the judgment will spread to the nations, but it will spread to the nations because of the unfaithfulness of God's people. The unfaithfulness of God's people to share the love and grace and mercy and good news of who God is to the nations that they may be able to know him. So that's kind of the backdrop of what Zephaniah has been talking about as he started this book and as he started this, this text as a prophet. And now a prophet is a person who speaks the words of God. They speak the words of God to God's people primarily, but then also to the nations and to other people. And so as we jump in this morning, that's kind of the context, and that's the background of where we're getting at. And so as we walk through and we look at hope while hurting, we're going to walk through three different things this morning. Three points is what I have for us to look over this morning. Hope while hurting, we're looking for hope for justice, hope for restoration and joy, and hope for the misfit and the outcast. Hope for justice hope for restoration and joy, and hope for the misfit and the outcast. So as we start this morning, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open up. If not, you can power up a phone or you can uh, swipe however you are looking at it on your phone or tablet or on computer screen, and the verses will be available on here for you to follow along. And so we're going to start off in verses 11 through 13 of Zephaniah chapter 3. Let's read those together. Verse 11 starts, on that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. 
But I want to leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. They shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall they be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Now, on that day, what he is talking about in that phrase is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is this coming judgment that is going to be brought upon the people of God. What we just kind of overviewed a moment ago. That is what he's speaking about with the day of the Lord. But he's giving a different, different look at it here. Typically, when you would think of judgment, you would think of guilty being sentenced. You would think of people being pressed down, people being locked up or put away. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is that on that day, you shall not be put to shame. The deeds that you have done to rebel against me, I will not look upon those. I will remove them from your midst. God will do an amazing thing. In the midst of his purifying action of judgment, that's what it is. His his judgment is an action like a loving parent to return their children to themselves, to bring them back into a right relationship with them, to, to restore what had been broken. In the midst of that, he's going to remove their prideful self-sufficiency, those who rely on their status and power to oppress the less fortunate and to puff and build themselves up. And what is going to be left in the process of that is the humble and lowly. Those who think highly of the Lord, those who are faithful and seek after him, those who want to rely on the Lord for their sustenance and their provision and for all of their needs to be met. Knowing that God will provide for those who seek after him and walk after him. And not only that, but those that will be left in the land of the Lord, those that will be left in Israel will people that do no injustice, that speak no lies, and there should be found in their mouth no deceitful tongue. Now he's speaking in the negative here to highlight the reality of what's going to happen. These people will be a just people. These people will be a truthful people. These people will be a compassionate and loving people. They will be able to lie down and have rest. They will find all that they need in the provision of the Lord. God calls us to be a people like that. God calls his people, Israel and his people today, those who follow after him, Christians, Christ followers, people who walk in the way of Jesus, to be people of peace, to be people of just, to be people of loving kindness and truthfulness and compassion to one another and to those around us in society. Now, there's a difficult reality that um, has plagued this nation and that has been once again highlighted this last week. See, America um, claims itself to be a Christian, God-fearing nation. But there's a sad counterpart to that. And that sad counterpart is that still existing in this country is rampant um, oppression of those that are, are not seen as equal. There is rampant oppression and, and pushing away the other of elevating the highly thought of and those of privilege. There is rampant, even some would say racism within this country. 
And so I'm thinking about a, a very polarizing issue that has come up. This last week, it came to our attention that a young man, Ahmad Arbery, was shot and killed. This young man was 25 years old, and he was out running. Now, maybe I feel more of a personal connection in that way because running is a passion of mine. And I love it. And I think that every single person should be able to go out and exercise and run and enjoy the freedom and liberation and health benefits that there are from running. But this young man, he was out on a run. And as he was out on a run, two other men saw him and they made judgments about him before even knowing him or even coming in contact with him. You see, Ahmad Arbery was a black man. And he was out running in South Georgia, where he lived. And these two white men that saw him got in their car. They, got, they armed themselves with weapons. And they confronted him because they thought he was a thief. They made judgments about him because of the way that he looked. They took their position of status and power. And they used it in such a way that did not reflect the righteous laws of this land. And the unfortunate outcome of that is that this man, um, Ahmed Arbery, was killed. He was shot in the street and killed. Now, I've seen the video, and it's horrible to have to watch. It's clear from that what happened in terms of a man's life being taken. But here's the unfortunate reality of what happened. Justice was not done. The reality of what happened came out this last week because of a leaked video of the footage that took place. But this murder took place in February. Think about that. In February, a man was shot down on the street. But not until the beginning of May were people arrested and files, uh, charges filed. That's a grave injustice in this country. That's a grave injustice in a country that proclaims itself to be a Christian nation that, re that lives and reflects the ideals of a compassionate and gracious and loving and caring and merciful God. That is an atrocity. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's, that's just the Georgia South. You know, there's all these tensions around the, the Civil War and Confederacy and flying these flags and everything. But the reality is it's not that far away from us, even here in the Northwest, even here within our church. I know there's an individual, a member of our church, who, who has even felt unsafe driving their car to get their tags renewed because they were a person of color. And the relationship that black and brown brothers and sisters in this community have had with the police force in our city. Now, that is something that I have never, will probably never have to experience as somebody who is in and part of the majority culture as a white man. But this is the reality of some of the things that our other brothers and sisters in this city and in our family of faith deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. We take for granted that we don't have to deal with that. It's prevalent all around us in different ways, and we don't see it. That is sad. It's an atrocity. God calls for his people to be just and truthful and loving and compassionate. 
So what should we do? As the people of God, we should think more highly of the other amongst us than we do of ourselves or than we do currently. We should join the fight for social justice in our neighborhood and in our city and in our nation because God cares about things. Because God is a just and merciful and loving God. God calls us to have hope for justice. Hope for justice because the hope that he gives us, but he wants us to be instruments of that hope and of revealing this hopeful justice to one another and to the people. Let's be a people that have hope for justice. And not only that, but God in here is telling us that there is a hope for restoration and for joy. Verses 14 through 18 say, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout to the Lord, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. There is hope for restoration and joy. See, God is calling his people. Zephaniah is instructing the people of God to sing for the restored presence of the Lord amongst them. He's telling them to sing for their sorrow will be turned to joy. Now, see, the reason that he is telling them to do this is because God's presence had been removed from the temple in Israel. God's presence had been removed from from the temple in Israel and from amongst his people. Now, why had the presence of God been removed from the temple, this place that was built for God to dwell in the midst and amongst his people? It was removed because of idolatry. Idolatry is the seeking after uh, of other things instead of God. It is rebellion, it is sin, it is coveting, it is looking after all of these other things instead. God's presence was removed. And that was the foremost thing that the people of God rallied around and looked for and found comfort and found joy in was the presence of God amongst them. Now, his presence would return and he would once again be among them. And that is why Zephaniah is telling them to rejoice that they would be, although they may be removed from the land, that there would be hope that they would return. And as they return, they wouldn't just return to an empty place, but they would return to a location where God's presence would dwell among them and they would be able to rejoice and to sing and to have gladness. Now today, God's presence does not reside in a building or in a material thing. Praise God for that, right? But the presence of God through his Holy Spirit has returned to the temples of the bodies of humanity through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And why did Jesus Christ live and die and resurrect? 
Why did he suffer a shameful, despicable, horrible death hanging from a cross? He did it for the joy set before him. He endured that cross, despising the shame so that all would be able to be welcomed into this family of God through the blood of a loving and compassionate Savior to turn our sorrow into joy, to take us from sadness into rejoicing. That is what has happened here. That is what the people of God are being pointed to to sing for. Sing for joy, for there will be a restoration taking place. And we get to partake in that and sing for joy because we have been restored to a great relationship with God because of the work of Jesus on the cross, because of his Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us and allows us to commune with him and to feel his presence and to feel the tender embrace of his love. We can sing for joy. And not only do the people of God get to sing for joy because of returning of the presence of the Lord, the Lord will sing over them with joy. The Lord will sing over us with joy. Now I'm going to take a risk here. And I don't know if I'm going to sing because I may not have the greatest singing voice, but there are going to be some words on the screen here that I think beautifully reflect what God is talking about here in this passage. The song is called Dancing on the Waves. And it's a song by a, a, a band that I recently came aware of this year called We the Kingdom. And uh, let's just get into it. Um, so it's Dancing on the Waves here. And this is God singing over and rejoicing over his people as they come into relationship and communion with him. So if we can move on to the first slide. I'm standing at your door. My heart is calling yours. Come fall into my arms. You're weary from it all. Been running for too long. I'm here to bring you home. I'm reaching out. I'll chase you down. I dare you to believe how much I love you now. Don't be afraid. I am your strength. We'll be walking on the water, dancing on the waves. Look up and lift your eyes. The future's open wide. I have great plans for you. Oh, yes, I do. Your past is dead and gone. Your healing has begun. I'm making all things new. I'm reaching out. I'll chase you down. I dare you to believe how much I love you now. Don't be afraid. I am your strength. We'll be walking on the water, dancing on the waves. 
I set every star into place so you would remember my name. I made it all for you. You are my masterpiece. You are the reason I sing. This is my song for you. I'm reaching out. I'll chase you down. I dare you to believe how much I love you now. Oh, don't be afraid. I am your strength. We'll be walking on the water, dancing on the waves. I think that's the end of the song. <laughs> so I think that that appropriately represented what, the way that God wants to sing over his people. He wants to sing over his people in joy. He wants us to realize the depth of the love that he has for us, that he is reaching out for a relationship with us, that he is chasing us down so that we may know and love and come into a relationship with him. He's not chasing us down so that he can judge us and inflict us with pain. He's chasing us down to love us and embrace us as a compassionate and caring father who loves his people. And not only that, we have hope of restoration and joy because the Lord will comfort those who mourn. As it said in verse 18, it says, I will gather those who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. The festivals that he's talking about here are the festivals that would take place throughout the year, the, the celebration of the Passover, the celebration of the harvest, the celebration of the Feast of Booths, the celebration of this deliverance that God had done in bringing his people out of oppression in the land of Egypt under Pharaoh into the promised holy land that he would give them that was abundant and flowing with his provision. This amazing work that God would do. He would remove their mourning. And why were they mourning? They were mourning because they were not able to gather in the temple. They were not able to gather as the people of God to worship and to seek after him as one people. We can identify with that right now, can't we? As the people of God, we have an inability to gather socially. We have an inability to gather as the people of God right now. See, Israel was unable to gather together for worship at the temple because of the viral presence of sin within them. Today, we are sorrowful for our inability to gather together because of this virus, this unforeseen killer that is around us. You see, sin is like a virus that seeks to infect and destroy. For this virus that we are currently in the midst of, COVID-19, we wait for a vaccine. We wait for a vaccine that will allow us to one day coexist with it so that maybe it just won't take too many of us and we can go on with life. But for the virus of sin, God alone is the antidote that kills the sickness at its source once and for all so that you may be healed and cured fully and completely. Amen to that. That is an amazing thing. And what is the cure for the sickness of sin? It is the blood of Jesus. 
the blood of Jesus that flowed out from the cross as he hung there. But not only that, the cure for the sickness of sin is the victorious rising of Jesus from the grave to new life amongst us so that we can have new life in him. God is telling the people of Israel and us today that our sorrow will be no more, that we will have joy, that like a soothing balm upon a wound, so too is the comfort and grace of God to those who are hurting. I would encourage you this week or this month, as you go throughout your week, to sing and rejoice. Sing and rejoice. Lift up your spirit in singing of praise to God. This is something that I try to regularly do. I try to regularly walk around the house singing songs. Uh, My children usually tell me to be quiet because they don't like the sound of my voice and they would rather hear other things. But there is something amazing that happens when we lift up our voices in singing, in song. There is a reason that musical worship is a part of the reason, is the part of why we gather. God does something and stirs something in us when we sing out to him. I would encourage you to sing this week. Now, hope while hurting will bring hope for justice, hope for restoration and joy, but it will also bring hope for the misfit. As we jump off the stand there, it will also bring hope for the misfit and the outcast. Sorry, chords. <laughs> um, as it says in verses 19 through 20. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, when I gather you together for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is something that God himself declares that he will do. God himself will gather, save, and bring in the outcast. Those that feel like they don't fit. Those that feel like they do not have a place. Those that feel like they are not welcomed in. He will bring them in. He will find them and gather them. He will save them and rescue them. He will make them part of the family. He will incorporate them. And not only that, he will replace their shame with honor. He will replace their shame, their painful feelings of innate wrongness and humiliation, inadequacy that feels deep within them, a wrongness and dirtiness that they cannot get rid of. And he will wipe them clean and and lavish upon them and seat them in a place of honor as an esteemed member and as an esteemed guest in the household. I look forward to that day. That will be an amazing time. And he will take what was broken, the relationship that was supposed to be perfect with God as it started in the Garden of Eden, and he will restore it to perfection. This will be a great thing. The incarnation of God among people 
as Jesus Christ is what will do this. He is the fulfillment of these I will gather, I will restore statements. Now to the non-believer that, that may be listening here or may hear this at some point, or to the non-believer that you may know or come in contact with, today, despite your anger, your frustration, your disdain, and the list could go on and on and on and on of your feelings or relationship with God. You are still made in his image and he desires a relationship with you. That is why Jesus came. Jesus came to establish and restore a relationship with you as well. He wants you to be a part of this family. Now, hope for the misfit and the outcast. We as God's people are meant to bring this hope to the misfit and the outcast. What is a way that we can do that? We can do that by sharing the gospel. Share the gospel with our friends, with our family, with the people that we come in contact with in authentic relationship. And we need to be honest about that. Share the reality of our struggles and our hope because that is part of the beauty of the gospel. When we put on this veneer of perfection that everything is great and life is hunky-dory all the time, people see the fakeness and that's not attractive. What's attractive is to see the wrestling and the struggle and the way that God meets us in the midst of that and provides for his people. Let's be a people who do that. And one of the ways that we get to respond right now, that we get to partake in encouragement is through the taking of communion. And in a moment, Josh is going to come forward and he's going to lead us in the receiving of these, the elements of the, the symbol of the juice, the wine, whatever you have, of the blood that was poured out to cover us and the bread or cracker or whatever other element you have as a symbol of the body that was hung on the cross, but then also rose victorious to life on our behalf. We get to receive that. I pray that you would receive that, that you would be encouraged by that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a good and loving God. We thank you that you are a bright light shining out in the midst of darkness, that we can have hope, that we can have restoration, that we can see justice and mercy, that we can have joy in singing and rejoicing. God, we pray that you would meet our hearts in the midst of where they are right now, and that you would be that soothing comfort that we need. God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are loving. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.